0: It's time for the May 12, 2023 edition of Weekly Signals a Weekly Review, a personal recollection of the last 168 hours of history, broadcasting on World Ego Awareness Day from the University of California at Irvine on KECI 88.9 FM. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar. And, as always, the star of Jordan Peele's remake of Pinocchio, Mahler, the fake news dog. Good morning, Mahler. Good morning, Mahler. I
1: do not remember the character of an obnoxious, overbearing dog in the original Pinocchio, but... Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. All
0: right. Apparently, it's not obnoxious, or he's doing the role of Pinocchio. Oh, I see. Wow. Yeah. He's having trouble with the nose. You'll get used to it. Mm-hmm. All right. The nose again. It's, it's, it's a the ma- nose, major yeah. problem for him. Yeah. Today, we'll be talking about ocean deoxygenation, three-way babies, the sexual predator-in-chief, surviving on wine, and so much more. But first, mm-hmm. did you ever think about leaving the country, Mike? Yes, I have.
1: Permanently? Yeah. A long time ago, probably 20 years ago, I thought that somehow Costa Rica would be kind of a cool place to live. Costa Rica. I thought about it no, as But cool,
0: but not because you wanted to leave no, here. No,
1: there was a time when I thought I might have to leave. What? What's that about? That goes way back. To the draft. Yeah. Yeah. There was some discussion within the family unit about something but like that. But just because
0: you were dissatisfied with the country itself, was there any reason? I didn't want, want to it? get shot and killed. From the Daily Beast. Russian authorities will launch construction of an expatriate village on the outskirts of Moscow for conservative-minded Americans and Canadians next year. Oh. Timur Belasgarov, a migration lawyer at Moscow's Vista Foreign Business Support, claims that tens of thousands of families wish to immigrate to Russia for ideological reasons. Yeah. Uh, the reason is propaganda of radical values. He said, <laughs> today they have 70 genders, and who knows what will come next? <laughs> Many normal people immigrate and are considering Russia, but they faced with huge bureaucratic problems uh, with Russia's migration law. Wow. This gulag, I mean community. <laughs> this community will be financed by the relocating of the families. Uh, the beef, they'll be yeah, illegal, yeah. The, normal the relocating families they will pay for. The, normal, the, the families. normal families. Normal families. Normal yeah. families, yes. Russia, which has ranked among the worst countries for expatriates in recent years, experienced a major downturn in tourism and other foreign arrivals after the invasion of Ukraine. You think? Yeah. yeah. That would try, kind of. So this article sounds like agitprop to me. Yes, it does. It was, it was in the Moscow Times. Mm-hmm. The Daily Beast picked it up. Mm-hmm. I think this is Putin's, uh, he planted this. Yeah, it sounds like- To divide Americans. <laughs> Uh huh. So you know, people will be saying, "I want to leave the country." Yeah, we well, got to get out of here. Yeah, because we can move to Moscow. <laughs> That's where I want to go. Just a, a short twenty minutes outside of Moscow. Yeah, you
1: know? I don't know exactly the dynamic in play in Russia, but they really have embraced that. And maybe I think this is an offshoot of the whole white Christian nationalism thing. This feels like it's kind of adjacent to that idea. Come to Moscow. If it's real. Yeah, if it's real. Well, if, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. So, yeah.
0: What's the oldest uh, dog you've ever befriended, Mike?
1: <laughs> the oldest dog that has been a part of my life in yeah, the family yeah, yeah. would be, yeah, yeah, well, Mahler. Yeah, I mean, Mahler's <laughs> coming would... up on, he's got to be 15, 18 years at this point, but uh, Greta, the first Greta. The first Greta. And we had a, a dachshund named Greta when I was very young. It was, and, and it lived to be about 17 or 18. It was right in the we you know, ah, a little right. fuzzy in that. How area. many
0: Greta's have you had? Two. From United Press International, the world's oldest dog, Bobby, celebrated his milestone 31st birthday Good yesterday. God. Yeah, 31. Jesus. Bobby, who lives in Portugal and was born May 11, 1992, oh was named the world's oldest dog, living and oldest dog ever by Guinness World Records earlier this year. <laughs> Very good, Mahler. A little shout out from Mahler. Wow. Oh, wait. This just in. The world's oldest dog, Bobby, who celebrated his milestone 31st birthday yesterday, died. Died. Yeah. <laughs> If you love dogs, may I recommend a donation to KUCI because we love dogs too. Just go to kuci.org. Your generous donation is how we stay on air. Commercial free, free form, free speech radio, KUCI 88.9 FM. Mm-hmm. 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 From the journal Frontiers in Microbiology, hmm. I always have a copy of that on the oh, bedstand. Yeah, bed there, stand. you got you, who, Yeah, you got it. Microbiology scientists from the Swiss Federal Institute have discovered microbes that can digest plastics at low temperatures. Mm-hmm. These microbes, discovered in the Alps and the Arctic, could be a valuable tool in recycling. Many microorganisms that can digest plastics have already been found, but they can usually only work at temperatures above 30 degrees centigrade. That would be 86 Fahrenheit. Mm. That's kind of warm. It is. This means that using them in industrial practice is prohibitively expensive because of the heating required. It also means using them is not carbon neutral because of that heating. Got to heat them. The researchers found microbes that can digest plastic at 15 degrees centigrade, which would be 59 degrees Fahrenheit. This lower temperature would help to reduce the costs and environmental burden of an enzymatic recycling process for plastic. That sounds good. Yeah, yeah. I think so. So these little critters just
1: chew up plastic. They just go,
0: go crazy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Good. We got a lot of it. They're yeah. never going to go hungry.
0: <laughs> From the Guardian. Satellite data has revealed that methane leaks from Turkmenistan's two main fossil fuel fields caused more global heating in 2022 than the entire carbon emissions of the United Kingdom. Kingdom, That's Turkmenistan. Yeah, I saw that. The satellite found that the Western fossil fuel field in Turkmenistan on the Caspian coast leaked 2.9 million tons of methane in 2022. The eastern field emitted 1.8 million tons. A ton is 1,000 kilograms, for what it's worth. You know, the T-O-N-N-E guy. Whereas our ton is 2,000 pounds. So that means that a A, tonne, T-O-N-N-E, is 2,204 pounds. It's bigger than our ton. Because methane is so much more potent than carbon dioxide, the two fossil fuel fields emit the equivalent of more than 366 metric tons of CO2, more than the UK's annual emissions, the equivalent of that. That would make the two fields the 17th biggest contributor to global heating.
1: Unbelievable.
0: Methane emissions have surged alarmingly since 2007, and this acceleration is a threat to keeping below the 1.5 degrees centigrade agreement to limit global heating. It's like out of the blue, we didn't know what was happening, and go- it's easy to
1: stop. This is in lining up with some articles I've read recently about there's a whole series of new satellites that are being deployed around the world to detect this kind of thing, and they're going after these rogue operations, these rogue mm-hmm. mining, uh, abandoned mines as well.
0: It also seriously risks triggering catastrophic climate tipping points, this this parcel of methane. Why? Why is this happening? Separate research suggests a switch from the flaring of methane to venting of methane may be behind some of these vast outpourings. Uh, Just in the name itself, flaring is used to burn unwanted gas, putting CO2 in the atmosphere, but is easy to detect. Mm. So they went to venting, which is simply releasing it. You're not burning it off at all. You're just releasing methane straight into the atmosphere, oh unburned, yeah. which until recent developments in satellite technology had been hard to detect. There you go. That's, yeah. Yeah. that's what's up.
1: Hey. And how many of these tipping points, how many of these threats
0: to tipping points uh, can we withstand? From Cosmos Magazine. Birds are changing shape in response to climate change, with species from North and South America getting smaller and longer winged as the planet warms. U.S. ecologists have analyzed body size and wing length data for more than 86,000 bird specimens collected over four decades in North and South America. They found the smallest bird species are changing the fastest, so they're adapting the fastest. The authors say that their findings raise concerns about extinction risks for larger-bodied birds, given their bodies responded more slowly. Yeah. Yeah. From the Wichita Eagle, that would be Wichita, Kansas. Mm-hmm. I'm reading all these papers every day. Yeah, I know. You've really spent a lot By of time. By the time I get to Kansas, though, so I'm yeah. a little bit weary. Yeah. Tornado, tornado yeah. Alley in the U.S. is migrating eastward. Now, we have that big tornado alley, mm-hmm. kind of in the Midwest. Now the whole alley is shifting to the east. Data gathered in the past two years show that in in addition to solo storms, large tornado outbreaks, multiple twisters spawned by a single weather system, are shifting even more definitively to the east. The swarms are clustering in a tighter geographical area than in the old tornado alley too. Mm. Mm. So they're more intense Mm -hmm. and they're moving to the east. And outbreaks may be getting fiercer and more frequent. Roughly 1,200 tornadoes strike the U.S. during an average year. They're prevalent in the U.S. far more so than anywhere else in the world because its geography sets up the perfect conditions, especially in spring and summer. Westerly winds from the Pacific Ocean drop their moisture when they push up over the Rocky Mountains, becoming high, dry, and cool as they move farther east. Meanwhile, low, warm, humid air streams northward from the Gulf of Mexico. Flat terrain along these paths allow the winds to move relatively uninterrupted at contrasting altitudes until they run into each other. The angles at which they collide tend to create unstable air and wind shear, two big factors that favor tornado foul formation. And the fact that Tornado Alley is moving eastward is more than a meteorological curiosity. The, the shift has serious human consequences. Tornado shelters are common in Texas and Oklahoma, but less so everywhere else. The southeast, where the alley is drifting towards, is more densely populated and mobile homes. Which fare poorly in windstorms, as we all know, as we all know, are much more common. On top of that, tornadoes in the southeast occur at night more often than they do it further west, in part because winds can bring ample moisture from the Gulf after dark. Wow. Studies show that tornadoes that strike at night are 2.5 times more likely to cause fatalities.
1: Not good. No, not good. There is no silver lining. I'm not trying to make it sound like there is, and I'm not trying to be snarky about this, but it does point out that we are in desperate need of infrastructure, uh, development, reinforcement of current infrastructure. And I know the, the, the administration, the Biden administration, passed a big infrastructure bill. Should have been bigger, but this is where we're moving. We're going to have to start pouring massive resources into essentially
0: mitigating the effects of climate. From Yale Environment 360. Global warming not only increases ocean temperatures, it triggers a cascade of effects that are stripping the seas of oxygen. Fish are already moving to new waters in search of oxygen, and scientists are warning of the long-term threat to fish species and marine ecosystems. The tropics will empty as fish move to more oxygenated waters, and those specialist fish, or specialized fish, already living at the poles will face extinction. So we got a serious fish situation here. I mean, on one hand, you could say they're all grouping together and it'll be easier to catch them if we want to feed off of them. That's the last thing we need is to be
1: able to harvest more fish out of the ocean.
0: Since the 1960s, the area of low oxygen water in the open ocean has increased by 1.7 million square miles. Oxygen levels in the world's oceans have already dropped more than 2% between 1960 and 2010, and they are expected to decline up to 7% below the 1960 level over the next century. Some patches are worse than others. The top of the Northeast Pacific has lost more than 15% of its oxygen. Researchers complain that the oxygen problem doesn't get the attention it deserves with ocean acidification and warming grabbing the bulk of both news headlines and academic research. But when you compare the three effects, warming, acidification and deoxygenation, the impacts of low oxygen are the worst. If you run out of oxygen, the other problems are inconsequential. Yeah. Uh, fish like other animals need to breathe. <laughs> You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. Visit us on the web at KUCI.org, on Facebook at Facebook.com KUCI 88.9, on our Tumblr blog at KUCIRadio.tumblr.com, and on Twitter and Instagram at KUCIFM. Mm-hmm. From Slate Magazine... You know, Slate, it's been around for a long time. That was one of the first online magazines I can uh, remember. It was, I want to say, early 2000s. It was prospering.
1: Yes, it was. It was considered to be the new media in a lot of ways.
0: From Slate Magazine, news about our sexual predator in chief. You know that guy. (laughs) Convicted. Sexual Sexual predator. predator, yeah. Donald Trump was found liable for sexual abuse and defamation by writer E. Jean Carroll. We all know that. But some of us don't really care. You know, sexual abuse, what the heck, let's laugh about it. Yeah, let's have fun. But the jury did not determine that the former president had raped her. The verdict has some legal experts and Nathan confused, given that the types of evidence required to prove both allegations go hand in hand. As the nine-member jury deliberated over three hours, they were presented with a verdict form that listed 10 yes and no questions, including whether Carol proved, with a preponderance of evidence, that Trump had raped her in a department store dressing room over 20 years ago. The question after that one asked whether the evidence proved that Trump had sexually abused Carol. Under New York state law, sexual abuse is considered any sexual contacts of the sexual or other intimate parts of a person for the purpose of gratifying sexual desire of either party. It's kind of a cold way to put it, but that's what it is. Rape follows a similar definition when a person forces sexual intercourse, penile penetration, with another person without their consent. So what we're talking about here is penile penetration. That's exactly That's exactly what that's all that was the difference. Carol did not see Trump's assault as a rape when in the immediate aftermath of the assault, she told a friend what had happened. In other words, she didn't characterize it that way. It's also easier to see how digital penetration could have occurred despite the relatively small confines of a department store changing room and Carol struggling than it is to envision penile penetration also occurring. But my consideration in this would have been, isn't Trump's penis so small that it's probably smaller than his finger or thumb. (laughs) Thumb or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah, whatever it is. That's why they call him President uh, Trufflecock. Also, Trump's other assaults and even his Hollywood Access tapes confession fell short of rape. They supported Carol's sexual assault charge to a far greater extent than they did her claim of rape. The dominant model for explaining jury decisions is called the story model. And that's what was going on here. Juries tried to construct stories that explained the evidence presented to them. Given what the jury heard, it was probably easier to construct a compelling story of sexual assault than a story in which the assault included a rape. This verdict was returned in under three hours. Yeah. Suggesting that there was substantial agreement on the most important issues from the outset. Yeah. But from this perspective, it appears that the Trump jury performed admirably, given the evidence. So well, it, the, yeah. that's a real question. <clears throat> well, that was my question too: Is are we supposed to like look at this jury as being a little bit favorable to Trump? And it sounds like not. Yeah, this is
1: well. In addition to the, in that three-hour time frame, in addition to coming to some agreement about the charges themselves, they also had to determine. The financial compensation for yeah. pain and suffering that she had gone through. Yeah. So they had to do a number of different things. So three hours is pretty darn quick yeah. for what they did. And so they obviously were in agreement. And there was some discussion about one of the jurors was uh, someone who listened to a podcast by one of these right-wing white nationalists. And would he, would he how would he fare in this deliberation? Yeah. Apparently pretty well in terms yeah. of uh, the jury's um,
0: agreement. From our good friend Michael Hilsick at Los Angeles Times, greedflation.
1: Mm hmm. Greedflation. Oh, I think I know where this is going. Greedflation.
0: Yeah. yeah. I don't like the word, but greedflation. Yeah. He wants to turn it into something. Yeah. Greedflation. That's what it's called when businesses raise prices higher and faster than is needed to cover increases in their costs. In other words, they profit off their problems. Yeah. You know, things are getting out of hand in the outside world. The prices are going up, so they just double down and charge us twice as much for it. Two recent papers measure the impact of greedflation and identify some of the leading culprits by name. Researchers at the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City calculated that in 2021, during a period where consumer demand largely cratered because people were staying home, Businesses jacked up prices so far and so fast that they screwed over the economy. That's also the finding of a second paper out of the University of Massachusetts, Amherst. They traced price increases at several companies and connected them with their executives' public indications that the pandemic, along with oil price shocks resulting from the Russian invasion of Ukraine and supply log jams at American ports, gave them cover to raise prices without a significant backlash from consumers. That's right. As PepsiCo Chief Financial Officer Hugh Johnston told investment analysts in April of 2021, the environment is well set up for pricing to be positive going forward.
1: That's that I, kind of BS. That I you know the,
0: the talk that they give. It's just this corporate yeah. speak that really what they're saying is time's right to screw our customers. Exactly In the fourth quarter of 2021, Tyson Foods' sales of beef fell by 6.2% compared with the same period in 2020. But it raised prices 31.7% in labeling it to widen its operating margin on beef by 6%. Another greedflation company was Procter & Gamble which markets pampered's diapers, bounty paper towels, Gillette razors, head and shoulder shampoo, and Crest toothpaste, among a lot of other things. In the fourth quarter of 2022, sales across all Procter & Gamble's product segments fell by 6% compared with a year earlier, but it raised prices by 10%. The chemical giant DuPont was candid about how the supply log jam and other shocks enhanced its ability to raise prices and join the greedflation bandwagon. It's a constructive market for pricing. That's another example. Good of, God, God, a constructive market for pricing. Jesus. In other words, the same thing. Yeah. Let's figure out creative ways to screw our customers. Well,
1: and let, and it's also we can get away with it because in the mind, my mind, as I go through these big supermarkets, it's impossible for a consumer to know what's a justifiable increase in in the cost of things yeah. and not. And they're counting on you not being able to figure out that you're being screwed. Especially when you have media
0: behind it telling you that it's a supply chain. Yeah, it's a supply chain. It's inflation. It's the supply chain. Now that it's a constructive market for pricing, quote, came from the chairman and CEO, Edward D. Brin of DuPont. Mm-hmm. So it's not some, you know, little corporate slug who had to come out and do this be the spokesperson. This is a CEO of the company. Corporate markups reached a record during the pandemic, helping trigger inflation. Successive congresses and administrations have stood idly by as mergers and acquisitions reduce competition throughout the economy and have allowed some companies to collect windfall profits without limitation. But the Amherst study sees glimmers of hope. Good. Under Chair Lena Khan, the Federal Trade Commission has signaled a more aggressive stance against anti-competitive mergers, and the Inflation Reduction Act enacted last year incorporated new incentives for production of renewable energy sources, which could counteract the market power of big oil companies. Yes. Which is a lot. It's pervasive. Oh my it's god! It's yes. the
1: most. It's most pervasive. By the way, it does just give a complete push this thing off the shelf kind of idea that capitalism, especially here in 2023 America, is the marketplace. The forces of the marketplace, the yin and yang of consumer demand and supply, have anything to do with pricing? Yeah. It's a lie. And a lot of this also has to do with the fact that many of these companies and industries, especially oil, are being so heavily subsidized by our taxpayer dollars that they don't give a rat's ass about the actual supply and demand
0: forces. They give less than a rat's ass. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. From the New York Times, more than 20 years after scientists first released a draft sequence of the human genome, the Book of Life has been given a long overdue rewrite. A more accurate and inclusive edition of our genetic code was published this Wednesday, marking a major step toward a deeper understanding of human biology and personalized medicine for people from a wide range of racial and ethnic backgrounds. Unlike the previous reference, which was largely based on the DNA of one mixed-race man from Buffalo, almost sounds <laughs> yeah. like a joke, it does. with inputs from a few dozen other individuals, mostly of European descent, the new... Pangenome incorporates nearly complete genetic sequences from 47 men and women of diverse origins, including African-Americans, Caribbean Islanders, East Asians, West Africans, and South Americans. The revamped genome map represents a crucial tool for scientists and clinicians hoping to identify genetic variations associated with disease. It also promises to deliver treatments that can benefit all people, regardless of their race, ethnicity, or ancestry. That's good news. It is good news. From the Associated Press, in an effort to prevent the children from inheriting rare genetic diseases, the first babies created using an experimental technique combining DNA from three people have been born. Wow. That's in the UK. Britain's Human Fertilization and Embryology Authority, that's an unfortunately named uh, group, although it'd be fun to have the t-shirt. It would be. Yeah. Hell yes, you could get me one of them. Human Fertilization and <laughs> Embryology Authority said fewer than five <laughs> babies have been born this way in the United States, but did not provide further details to protect the family's identities. Yeah. In 2015, The UK became the first country to adopt legislation regulating methods to help prevent women with faulty mitochondria, the energy source in a cell from passing defects on to their babies. The world's first baby born using this technique was reported in the US in 2016. The genetic defects can result in diseases such as muscular dystrophy, epilepsy, heart problems and intellectual disabilities. About one in 200 children in Britain is born with mitochondrial disorder. For a woman with faulty mitochondria, scientists take genetic material from her egg or embryo. This is how it works, Mm -hmm. which is then transferred into a donor egg or embryo that still has healthy mitochondria, but had the rest of its key DNA removed. That's crazy. crazy. The fertilized embryo is then transferred into the womb of the mother, the genetic material from the donated egg companies comprises less than 1% of the child created from this technique. Mitochondrial donation treatment offers families with severe inherited mitochondrial illnesses the possibility of a healthy child. And that's the whole purpose of all this. Amen. Yeah. And from the Wild, the wild Street Journal. I like that better <laughs> than the Wall Street Journal. From the Wall Street Journal... Tipping at the self-checkout aisle has come to airports, stadiums, cookie shops, and cafes with some prompts requesting a 20% tip. Tipping at the self-checkout aisle. You go to a self-checkout, you're doing the work. There's
1: one person there making sure you're not pocketing everything before you walk out of there. And you got a tip? Yeah,
0: you got a tip now? Really? Tipflation, also known as tip creep. I thought that's what they called Trump, but I don't know. (laughs) Tipflation, also known as Tip Creep, has inundated consumers in a post-COVID world as stores and companies try to snag some extra income. But the corporation asking a customer to tip while that customer is doing all the work sucks. Yeah. The Wall Street Journal reached out to the companies and locations that are asking for tips at self-checkout kiosks and found that most try to justify their bad behavior behavior by claiming the tip prompt is always optional. Well, yeah. I uh, spoke Yeah, spoke. it is.
1: It's always been optional.
0: The uh, theory behind this, though, is once you have people moving in the direction of yeah. giving money to you, then you hit them with the tip. They'll likely just uh, hit something, even the lower version of yeah. the tip, just yeah. to get out of there. Meanwhile, the companies don't need to pay their workers as much because they're getting compensated in tips. Yeah, I uh, just bought
1: a cup of coffee a couple of days ago. Was four dollars, and then they flipped the the screen around. Yeah, and I just hit two fifty. I gave two fifty on a four dollar cup of well, coffee. Well, you're a generous man. Well, I don't know.
0: I don't that. mind doing stuff like that. It's up to you to do yeah, that. Yeah. But it's just when I'm when I'm doing all the work myself, <laughs> when it, when there's nobody engaging me at all, I if know. they're just hovering over at the at the uh, yeah. at the desk that's overseeing the operation, I don't feel they deserve the tip. I, I know. A uh, spokesperson from Petco Park, one of the companies that's involved in this, said that the tips are split among the staff. Okay. okay. Meng Zhu, a John Hopkins professor studying consumer behavior, said that not only does presenting a tip option pressure consumers to tip, mm-hmm. it also guides them to amounts that the business wants. Speaking of tips,
1: Mike,
0: yeah. KCI will be holding its annual fundraiser beginning May 22nd. That's a Monday. It's a Monday. So uh, hold coming. on to your hats. So and take any spare change you have yeah. start putting it in jars yeah by the time it gets to may 22nd which is what like a little it's bit a, more than a week away it's a week from monday you'll have lots of money yeah you'll have a little jars, a
1: lot of money and frankly we're not going to stand there pressuring you as you walk through your what? favorite establishment well, ask speak ask for a, yourself yeah well okay maybe you should give us money
0: <laughs> yeah that's right and finally from the washington post a woman survived five days stranded without water in the australian wilderness resorting to drinking the only liquid refreshment she had on her a bottle of wine lillian ipp had set out on a vacation to bright at the base of the victorian alps but when the 48 year old failed to check in with relatives on sunday april 30th local police said her family raised the alarm Rescue authorities scoured the remote hilly terrain around 270 miles northeast of the Victorian state capital, Melbourne, for days. Lillian was finally spotted near her car at the end of a dirt road by a police helicopter five days later. The day before, she had penned a farewell note to her family. Mm. So things were getting serious. Ip doesn't drink, but she told police she had a bottle of wine in her car that was intended as a gift for her mother. I thought I was going to die there, she said. My whole body shut down on Friday. When officers arrived on the scene in a police van, her first request was simple. Water and a cigarette, (laughs) she said. (laughs)